You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Mark 10, 6 through 9. These are the words of Jesus. Raise your hand if you're at Mark 10. Anybody there yet? Okay, I'll give you another second. Um, it's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And, and so turn to Mark 10. The disciples asked Jesus about marriage, and he says some pretty um, startling things about uh, marriage and divorce. He says um, that the disciples at the end of this conversation say, well, maybe it's better not even to marry than, than to marry and get divorced. And Jesus says some hard things um, about the seriousness of marriage. And then he, he ends it with this statement. He, he gives a quote from Genesis. So Mark ten six through 9 is Jesus quoting this. And he says, from the very beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And then just this verse, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father. The two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then this, this, this verse that's popular to read at weddings. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So this morning, we're going to be talking about marriage and, and kind of interviewing, doing Q&A with uh, various couples that are, that are married for various years. And to preface this, uh, to kind of conclude this month as we've been talking about marriage and relationships, friendships, dating this whole month, um, what we're doing here um, is very important. Marriages, relationships are of the utmost importance. You could read, listen through the podcast, and we prefaced it by, you know, the idea that God is himself in, in triune being and how he has community with himself, and um, he created us in his image, and need for community, friendships, uh, relationships that are long-term, lifelong. So let's pray as we begin Sunday school. Lord, we bless your name. We thank you uh, for what you're going to do this morning. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. God, every one of us, whether we're single, uh, married, engaged, um, dating, Lord, we we put um, our relationships in your hands, Lord. Lord, we give them over to you, and we say, be glorified in how we treat our friends, how we, how we do our dating, how we do marriage. Lord, be glorified so much so that people will look at the way we do relationships and glorify your name and thank you that you are alive and living and active inside of us. So we praise your name, Jesus. We worship you and praise you. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're in this series on relationships. Uh, we've called it Conversations on the Family, Relationships. So we're going to do something really cool this morning. But before, just a few announcements. Um, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you've never been, uh, we love that you're here. If you would like to fill out a card, um, you can. They're on all the tables. Fill it out with as much or as little information as you want. If you check boxes like an email or a call, then I will call you or email you um, and say what's up. I'll tell you more about the mill on a Friday night, for instance. That's our that's our main meeting for college and twenty somethings. And if you've never been, you should. Uh, it's worship and a, a sermon. Uh, and so Sunday school is more of a gathering of nerds. How many of you are nerds? Sweet. So. Um, so we're going to do something just to kind of give you uh, in advance of what we're going to do next month. We're going to do something really nerdy. So if you're not a nerd, you might not find this really cool. But we are going to start a huge uh, series, month, months, plural, long series on church history starting next month. So we'll go through the early church and then like persecution and then the Roman Empire and then the middle, eventually to the Middle Ages and Reformation and American church history. It'll be really cool and nerdy. So that's a little um, what's coming up next month. And so um, let me tell you what we're going to do today. Um, maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll introduce, uh, we have a panel. I guess it's a panel, a panel discussion with three. We're going to have three different married couples come up. Uh, maybe you guys could come up one by one. Sean and Courtney McCarthy, if you guys could come up. They've been married all of two months. And uh, their, their picture, so if you got the notes this morning, on the cover is this little picture of a car on the back of it. It says, just married. That's their car still. So that's how fresh their marriage is. Um, how many days? Two months and like three days? You got married on the 24th? And what's today? The 20-something? So do the math, right? Three days. Two months, three days. Um, so they, I've, I got to see their whole relationship form since like dating 
way back in the day, like I knew Sean way back, and then Courtney came into the picture and, and is on staff with the mill, so that was really cool. So they're going to be answering questions out of the two months of marriage. That they, and so I asked them to, and I imagine you're like, what, are, what, 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 are they, what can they say? They've only been married two months. But I think they could say a lot about dating, which I imagine the majority of you in here are not married, so they might actually have the most to say in some ways about the practicalities of marriage, um, going into marriage and dating. So anyways, that's the, that's, uh, that's the McCarthy's. I almost said McCarroll's because that's <laughs> Courtney's previous last name, which is very similar. McCarroll? McCarthel? Mc... <laughs> Can't even do it. The Bakers! Come on up! This is Brad and Carrie uh, Baker. They, they've been married 12, 12 years. They have four kids, right? Four kids. Um, and they, Brad grew up here. Did you grow up here as well, Carrie, in, in Colorado? Um, so Brad grew up here, went to California. Is that where you met then? <laughs> okay, I don't really know. Maybe some of their story will come out. Um, and Brad worked at Saddleback Church, and he has spoken here at the Mill Sunday School, I think, two times now. And so you already know Brad. Here's his wife, Carrie. So they're going to be answering questions um, and, and hopefully giving a really cool perspective on like a marriage that has lasted 12 years. And so pretty cool. And then finally, David and Becky Grothy, if you guys can come forward. <laughs> They've been married 36 years. Uh, I'm trying to think over... The many years of uh, Sunday school, you guys have probably spoken three or four times with us, and and at the mill a couple times. They are, if you don't know, Daniel Grothy, our mill pastor's mom and dad, and uh, they they have a, a wonderful marriage, and I'm excited to have uh, Q&A with them. So welcome to the panel. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I have questions that you guys asked last week, some really good ones, uh, maybe enough to go around, but I thought it would be cool because some of you weren't here two weeks ago when we did this Q&A. And so if, if it could be cool to answer questions on the fly, fresh questions. So you're going to get questions. You're going to write some questions, maybe uh, one or two per table. I want you to talk about it and ask uh, questions, not as individuals, but more as a table. This is like a photo op. <laughs> For the Facebook. We, we have a Sunday School Facebook page that you should like. Um, so anyways, it's for that. Um, so here's the discussion question, and then we will jump right into it. So discussion for you guys, and you guys just get to chill for a minute. Um, what questions do you have for these Christian couples that have been married for various years so you can address uh, uh, the Grothies or the Bakers or the MacArthur's <laughs> um, individually? Or you could ask a question. So I'll be taking your questions and like giving it to them. Like, oh, this, this question is for the young couple. This question is for the bakers, whatever. Uh, and giving it to them. Um, or you could ask questions for all of them. So take like one or two minutes very quickly. Meet each other at the table. Then, then either do one or two questions as a table. Write them down. Um, so ready, get set, go. Let's get started, shall we? Um, so maybe I'll, I'll give you a... Um, I'll give the couples an easy question, maybe, to begin with, which is, um, maybe, how how did you meet? In a a brief, summarized portion, maybe we'll hear the story from the guys, or whoever wants to share. (laughs) That that would be, yeah, whoever would like to share. Grothies, would you like to start us off? A very, just a snip, for those of us that don't know you, uh, a snippet of how you met. We tested the mic right before this. I'm blaming myself. Got it. We met when uh, at Oral Roberts University. Yay, ORU. And uh, our freshman year, we met at 18. And you were 18. We were both 18. And we started dating of about six months later, dated for three and a half years, and got married. Check. Test. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, we met in college, and also at ORU. Yeah, raise the roof, Golden Eagles. Um, <laughs> we kind of an interesting part of our story is that we had horrible first impressions of each other. Um, 
I thought she was incredibly immature. <laughs> and I thought he was a very big nerd. Oh, my gosh. And both turned out to be somewhat true. Uh, <clears throat> um, so one of the one of the cool features of our, of our relationship is because of our horrible first impressions of each other, there was no initial spark, and uh, to say the least. And we would probably not gotten to know each other had we not had a bunch of mutual friends. And so our relationship was like so platonic; it wasn't even funny for the first couple of years. And then all of a sudden, I remember talking to her one day, and I'm, it all like changed. It was like, wait a second, I'm gonna get married to you, girl. Um, <laughs> So we dated, what, nine months and got married. Yeah. It was longer than that. But I'm going to pass the mic because I can't remember I don't remember feel exactly. bad not knowing your story if you are struggling. <laughs> yeah, we're a little fuzzy on how we met. <laughs> yeah, it works. Uh, we have a very, very long story. Um, so please get comfortable. Um <laughs> No, we, uh, I pursued Courtney for the longest of times. And time, like, I think I asked her maybe a total of five times, like, if we were dating or if she liked me or if we could date. <laughs> and that was over a course, uh, we, we went on one date um, in November of 2010. 10. And, and then we didn't start dating until November 5th of 2011. So I technically pursued her for a year, but there's... A year of pursual before yes. you even dated. Yes. Wow. So there's, there's, <laughs> she's not the bad person, by the way. <laughs> uh, but there, there's, um, there's lots of small details that go into it and things. But that's basically the gist of it. Oh, we met at the mill. Good. Sh- All right. <laughs> Courtney, do you want to add anything to that? <laughs> well, I'm bet instead of these answers, we'll get around to. It's okay to wait and have to figure some things out and ask questions and make someone wait for you. But so, but yeah, we met at the mill, um, kind of similar. I mean, through friends, just having a friendship and letting that blossom into more. So, Good. Yeah. All right. Well, here is, I have a few questions and then you guys could feel free to uh, pick questions that you think are appropriate or fun or inappropriate. That's fine too, if you want to answer some of those. <laughs> Um, but here's one that I've seen a couple times in this stack from two weeks ago, and then I saw it, I think, twice uh, already. And so what's one thing, an issue in marriage, that you didn't discuss before marriage but should have, like either in your dating or engage, engagement, an issue that you wish you would have discussed before marriage? So as, as like advice to all of us, like something that we should be discussing that maybe we wouldn't with someone that we're dating or engaged to or not dating. Miss <laughs> Beck. Well, I'm, from the looks of things here, uh, we're going to answer this one. <laughs> <laughs> and we probably had the least amount of premarital counseling here because back in the 30s, they didn't have premarital counseling. In the 30s? I'm kidding. Stop it. But not really. (laughs) So we really didn't have much. We met with the pastor that was going to do our ceremony, and and kind of the big issue at that point was whether we were going to say Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit in the ceremony. That was a little bit of the sum total of our (laughs) premarital. That actually the pastor did say, he warned us that the, and this is not to speak ill of our pastor because he was wonderful. It just wasn't, there wasn't a lot of thought given toward premarital counseling. So it was the three major areas of difficulty when you're married are going to be communication, sex, and marry, uh, money. Mm-hmm. And uh, so good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> really, that was kind of about the. the he just kind of warned us that those were go- going to be three things that we were going. We didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it. It was just like, just so you know, these are going to be the three areas, and I think that's probably accurate. You. The week before our ceremony, I was traveling from Tulsa to Northern Idaho to get married, 
and my buddy was from Colorado Springs. So the first stop along the way, 36 years ago, was Colorado Springs. And then I was going to get up the next morning and drive on, get married five days later. His father happened to be a chaplain across the street, the Protestant chaplain at United States Air Force Academy. And so we pulled in really late after a 10, 11 hour drive. Chaplain's quarters, I got up the next morning and Chaplain Byron was cooking breakfast. I was getting ready to pack the car and head on to Idaho. And he says, so David, you're getting married. I said, yes, sir, this uh, Saturday. He said, have you and Becky decided not to get a divorce? <laughs> and, and I thought, well, uh, w- well, we've been dating for three years. We're getting married this Saturday, Chaplain. Uh, he said, great, great. Have you, have you decided not to get a divorce? I said, well, we, we really love each other. And he turned around, picked up the cereal spoon that was on the table And he said, if this spoon is divorce and it's still on the table after next Saturday, it can become one of the options of resolving your marriage problems. And so he picked up the spoon and he threw it under the breakfast table. He said, take the spoon off the table. I said, I got it, chaplain. I know what. See, now Becky and I had. For three years, we talked about a lot of things and assumed. We just assumed we love each other. We'll never get a divorce. But we'd never specifically addressed it. So I, he said, great, have, have good wedding. He served breakfast, and I left. I drove to Idaho, and about 14 hours later, I knocked on the door. They'd been waiting for me to get there, and I met the whole family at the door, and I looked at Becky, and I said, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and we went out. They obviously know what that means, that <laughs> dreaded, we need to talk. We went out on the back deck of her parents' home, and she's really kind of apprehensive, and I said, Chaplain Byram said, we need to take divorce off the table. And she looked at me like, duh. And I said, really, let's just decide right now. We're never going to talk about it. We won't threaten it. We won't use it as a weapon. We're never going to go there, never going to speak it. Or say, in the heat of, of some frustrating moment, I just... So we prayed and agreed we're never going to consider divorce. We take it off the table. So I went in, dialed the phone back here to Colorado Springs, said, Chaplain Byram, it's Dave. Spoon's off the table, Chaplain. (laughs) He said, great. That was the last and the best premarital counseling we received. That's good. That's good. Um, Bakers, do you have a question there? Your sign is falling down. Is that bugging anyone else? Okay, there. Really quality tape. Do you have a question there that you would like to chat about? This is a a purple question. I'm not sure if that has any significance. But it says, as a couple in a dating relationship, do you need emotional boundaries just as much as physical boundaries? Um, And I think that's a great question. And the answer in my mind is absolutely. Um, You you want to... um, Open yourself up to somebody um, slowly. Uh, it takes time um, to understand whether an individual is is in the place to handle your your heart, your inner world, um, with love and respect. And so, for sure, when you're when you're dating someone and you're just you know, say you're just getting to know them, it's not the time to open up the deep caverns of your heart and sh- sh- spill the beans about everything. You know, you need, you need time. It's just like a friendship. You know, you, you don't, you don't go in and, and you, you shouldn't go in and just talk about everything in your heart with someone that you don't really know. And it may be even more so in a dating context. So you really need time to see someone's character, um, before, you know, you share sharing your inner world with them. And I, I, Carrie and I are both have always been a huge fan of doing as much group dating as possible in the sense of if you're interested in someone, they're interested in you and you're still getting to know them, you know, hey, can we go out with, you know, a group of friends and I are going here, will you come with us? So you're still getting time with them, but you're maybe not one-on-one where there would be kind of an expectation to share at a certain level. No, I was just going to say when he says group dating, that doesn't mean dating a whole group of people. It just means 
as much as you can, spend your time together in groups. That's really how our relationship started, and it was a very safe way to develop. I got to see how he was with other women. I got to see how he was with other men. I got to see how he treated older women and older men. And so I got to see him in all kinds of contexts, and that's where our safety developed. And so then when it was he and I, there was already a lot already established, so I felt like we could start sharing our hearts. So, Yeah, I mean, the scripture, you guys, have you been around the church or you follow Jesus for any length of time, you heard the scripture a million times, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. You, there really is, it needs to be a, a, a great measure of caution um, with with your heart. It's huge. Um, so yeah, take, take time, get input of other people. Don't, don't be <laughs> closed off or full of fear either, but you know, take the time before you start sharing your inner world people. Good. McCarthy, do you have a question you would like to chat about? Yeah, so three cards, or four cards, actually basically all said the same thing. <laughs> um, it was basically like, what was the transition from dating to marriage? Like, how was that? How Two months it... ago. Yeah. Good for you guys. It's pretty fresh in our minds. Um, for me, I think one of the most, the thing that popped into my head when I read all of them was um, just my own, like, schedule and my own... I don't know, my agenda or something like that. So this is a terrible story. I know I'm the bad guy in this one. But um, the other day or the other week, uh, I had a friend and he's like, hey, I need to drive up to the mountains for this video shoot. I'm really tired. Do you think you could, you know, drive me up? And like it was nine o'clock at night. And that weekend I was going to be gone for a DSM retreat. And so this is like Wednesday. And I was thinking, okay, like if I leave now, I won't be back until Monday and all this other stuff. But I'm a pretty like generous like just like hey you're yeah you're spontaneous like you're in trouble like i'll be the dude to help you out of course but i didn't really realize it right then but like i tried to involve her in the process but we had friends over at the same time so i was like babe like what do you think like should i can i go like or anything like next let's make this a conversation but there's other people in the room so then it, re- it really didn't get solved so I just felt the pressure from my friend of like, Hey, like I'm still in a bind, like, and just kept getting later and later. So I was like, I should probably just go for like, go for it. So I like told her and I was like, Hey, like, and I'm thinking maybe in the back of my mind, like, I know that she really loves me when I'm like super generous and giving. So I'm thinking like, this is a great move. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible move. So (laughs) then it wasn't, I I finally told her, I was like, yeah, okay, like I'm going to go. And then we have DSM retreat. So I'm just going to stay up there and I'm packing. So then I'm packing my bag and I have a picture of her on my side of the bed. And as I'm packing my bag, I look over at the picture and I was like, (sighs) and I just like started weeping and I was like, what am I doing? I'm leaving my wife and this is silly. Um, and like it just all rushed in my head of just like this is ridiculous why did I feel like I could do this or I just had the right to just leave and it's like it's totally okay we're married now like it's cool like we can we love each other right but it was like this idea of like no like I don't know from dating to marriage obviously it's like you get to sleep in the same bed with each other and that's really great and you never have to say goodbye so it's like now I'm saying goodbye for like five days and that's ridiculous so I think for me, the hardest part is like finding out like the smallest things where it's like that I used to just be able to fly when I was single. And now it's like, I'm, I have, it's not that I have to, but it's like, I totally want to take care of her and I want to be around for her and I want to be there. And like, we are married now. We're, we're, you know, we're together. We're a team. So it's good. Yeah. I think piggybacking off of that, I didn't know he's going to share that story, but getting married, you do say no to a lot of things that you could have said yes to in dating. Um, but you're saying yes to a lot of really amazing things at the same time. So I think being single, the things that you would have said yes to were great things, but they're probably things you're going to say no to in marriage. Just with late night hangouts or spontaneous road trips or anything that makes being single so great. But it it just changes when you add someone else and factor in feelings and what you're trying to make together. Um, but back to this question. I So transitioning from dating to married life. For me, I think that the biggest transition has just been, in my mind, these ideals with reading books and taking premarital and talking with people and thinking, I am going to make a meal every night and I am going to do X, Y, and Z as a married woman and then getting into that and just realizing I, it is messier and I am ingrained in doing a certain thing a certain way and it takes time to 
change and be someone who thinks of putting crockpot meals together every <laughs> night. But um, I think just giving yourself grace mentally in that transition too, because it isn't just going from being single and knowing how you want to act as someone when you're a wife or when you're a husband and then just doing that instantly. Um, so I think the biggest transition is having grace for the learning curve for us. That's good. Here's a question that anybody can answer or speak to. Uh, what has been the hardest part of being married that you have found? Uh, and if you could give one piece of advice before someone gets married, what would it be? Maybe the growthies would say, take divorce spoon off the table. Um, but what, what else would you say, or what would the, the Bakers or the McCarthys add to what has been something that has been hard in your marriage? And so what would you say to people um, on the precipice of getting married? What would you say as advice? Hello. There we go. <laughs> Up here moving my mouth, and you're like, why doesn't he speak? Um, I think the the level of self-awareness that we have um, dramatically increases when you get married. Um, you can think that you're in one place um, as a person, um, level of health in any area of your life, and then the intensity of the marriage begins to reveal things about you. Um, some that are good. You're like, oh, wow, this is a cool part of my heart. But a lot that needs, that, that needs the Lord's attention. Um, and so I think that, that was probably the, the biggest thing for Carrie and I is what, the marriage, what our marriage revealed about us and how we were going to respond to the things that we saw. Um, so like in individually, ourselves. like what you see, what Brad sees about Brad's self changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think we, Carrie and I came into marriage very much thinking, oh yeah, every marriage is going you know, to go through ups and downs and hard times, but we're the exception to the rule. I mean, look at the homes we grew up in and the schools we went to and like, we're, we're going to be good. Like we may have like a little argument over like what, you know, what ice cream we get at the store, but... <laughs> And then, you know, it was like, wow, there was just so much that God unearthed in us. Um, and it was very naive for us to, extremely naive for us to think that way. Um, because we're in process, right? We're now, we're both now and not yet. God says we're holy. God says we're saints. God says we're his children. God says we're pure. Um, that's the reality. But, but in that, in the same sense, we're, we're a now people, but we're not yet people. We're in process. And that's very much true of, of the marriage relationship. So the biggest thing I would say, one of the big things I would say if you're, you know, before you get married is just be ready for that. Be ready for marriage to refine you, you know. Marriage exists. Marriage can make you full of joy, but it, it exists primarily as a tool um, for God to refine your heart and make him look more like you. And that usually involves some intensity, right? Some heat. So, Brad, used, Brad just used the term self-aware. I think it's my experience and my observation that many times coming into marriage, you're very selfish in the sense that you only have to worry about yourself. You've never had to take into account, I'm becoming one. The scripture you read, the two shall become one. Sometimes it's not just that easy of joining two lives. It's sometimes the collision of two histories that come together, that have to be worked through and motivations. And so I think... The question here, what's been the hardest part of marriage, I think, is becoming selfless rather than selfish. Um, To tie on that, um, I once heard a friend say, like, in marriage, if basically we're all, like, selfish people, so we want want stuff. Um, So he was like, think of this equation real fast. And he was like, if I'm... Being, if I'm not, if I'm being selfless and I'm giving you everything that you need, and you're being selfless and you're giving everything that I need, then we're both getting everything that we need. <laughs> instead of like, instead of just thinking like I continue to need this, I continue to need. We're like we're filling each other up constantly, basically. So I think it's tying back. Came to mind. Something else that came to mind um, was studies. Study after study has shown 
that the longer you're married, the more satisfied you are in the marriage in general. And so I think one of the one of the challenges for people that are just getting married is to say, oh, this isn't what I, I wanted or I expected. And it's like, well, yeah, you don't you don't expect to be an expert at something you just started, right? And so this idea that if you st- if you stick with it, the Lord begins to sweeten the marriage more and more and more. And there's more there's more bonding, there's more connection. And with the Lord, even when you go through what feels like hell as a married couple, God uses that to bond you together and to create greater oneness. And so. Um, the first, you know, season of marriage or chapter of marriage, people give up on it and they don't realize they're laying the foundation for what will become a marriage that's very satisfying and honoring to God and and tells the story of God's power and redemption. So that's good. I have a question here that I think is like trying to gauge or navigate, um, like protecting your marriage. Um, specifically from adultery, protecting your marriage's sexual relationship. And so it says, the specific question, it's quite long, but I'll uh, paraphrase, like how do you uh, treat relationships with the opposite sex? So now that you're married, do you, do you have friends of the opposite sex? Well, on what level? And how do you, uh, in some ways, protect that from adultery or an affair um, so maybe a, a deeper question, but um, I, I saw a few questions like that. So does anyone want to start us on that? Uh, right after we got married, we had Dave had a friend, very close friend and roommate from ORU, and he would call our house. That was when there were landlines. You don't know what those are, but no. they they plugged into the wall and had a curly cord that you could only walk curly ten cord. feet. Wow, ten feet! That was a long extension. Yeah. So anyway, so he would call, and if I would answer, he would just say, "Is Dave there?" And it the first few times it wasn't a big deal to me, but then I felt like you know I'm here, so maybe you want to say, "Hi, Becky, is Dave there?" And at least just acknowledge me. It felt a little bit more like an answering service rather than his friend's wife. So, um, and uh, I felt like he was my friend too. But anyway, it was just a little, little, um, it kind of said something to me. Maybe I was oversensitive and probably so, but... uh, he, yeah, he he did have a hard time adjusting to now it was Dave and Becky, and uh, he so the time together was going to look a little bit different. So we just kind of, and it wasn't anything where we said, okay, we're not, this person's not going to be our friend, and this person is, and these two are, or he's married so he can. It just kind of naturally uh, resolved itself. And he's one of our very best friends as a family today. But some of those things kind of just take a little bit of time for resolve. And we also, our friends are mutual friends. I don't have male friends that are my friends that aren't our friends. And it's not a weird thing. It's not a suspicious. It's not a, I might commit adultery if I have a male friend. It's just, although I might. I mean, I wouldn't, but people do. But I just wanted to clarify that. Why are you laughing? I would never do that. I don't know why they're laughing. But I don't want to be holier than thou. It happens. So... Our friends are our friends, and your friends are my friends, and my friends are your friends. Everybody. And and setting some standards, we don't go in the car. I mean, for 36 years, I don't get in the car with a woman to go to lunch, even though I'm going to go have a business meeting. And she doesn't get in the car with another man to go somewhere because it's one thing to know what your motives are. It's another thing for appearance, to avoid the appearance of something that looks inappropriate. But it's very practical. You know, I'll, I'll get in the car and go to lunch with Pastor Christina and Pastor Susie and Pastor Yvette, but I always try to take Pastor Mel too. So I'm, you know, I'm, we have to kind of put some 
practical application to just guard because there is an enemy of our soul and the Bible says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy and we're a target as much as the next person is. So we want to be on guard. Teaching a few weeks ago, and I don't know if any of you guys heard it, but it was like how affairs happen. Mm -hmm. And he talked about what creates intimacy is unhurried conversation. And I certainly do not want to be creating that kind of intimacy with anybody but Brad. And I want to make sure I'm having lots of unhurried conversation to develop intimacy with Brad. But I would really not ever engage that with any other men outside of Brad. If I'm talking with another man, like, at a social thing, like, Brad's in the room, like, I would never go off and have, sit down and tell me your heart, tell me what's going on. That right there can just start things down the wrong path. So we're very careful with how we interact with the other um, sex and how we um, do things. Like we said, we would never go and he would never go meet somebody, a woman for coffee. Well, it's a counseling thing. I need to, we would never do that. He would always refer her to another woman or um, likewise, I would never go and have any kind of unhurried conversation like that with a man. So I liked that um, way of putting it. Good. Well, one thing to add is sometimes it, it's it's like a little seed gets dropped into your heart or your mind, and you notice, you know, it always starts with noticing someone. You're like, oh, they're really nice and they're attractive. Um, I think it's a very healthy practice for males and females to get in the habit of if that happens and in any way it starts to grow, if you can if you can can find a brother or a sister in the Lord and just confess that to them and say, look, I you know I. I had this thought, and it's so—it's not honoring to my marriage. It's not what God would want, um, but it seems to be reoccurring in my mind that I'm having trouble kicking it out or whatever. And just say, "This is this is what happened. This is this is the person. Will you just pray for me?" And it's amazing how how that will just destroy that little seed that got planted that could otherwise grow and you're like, oh no, I'm kind of obsessed over this person now. If you just, the very hint of it, you're like, nuclear bomb on that seed, and deal with it. In youth group, my youth pastor like gave us an, this way of thinking about it, and it was for the guys, mostly, because um, we're visual. Um, but it was like, when I was in high school, it was like, all right, when you like see a, like a pretty attractive girl, like you do like the bounce effect. So like, it's like, uh, oh, nope. <laughs> and you like just continue to like bounce off. And I think somehow like that seed of just what that did inside of me, like helped this idea of like being aware of if I'm thinking of somebody in a certain way, it's like, nope, bounce off and just like get on with it. Like don't, and then obviously like involve the Lord if it continues to like seed into me. Um, to like be like, okay, like I'm aware of this, Lord, so I'm bringing you into aware of this, and I don't want this, but it's there, and so just to continue to involve him. So, yeah. We just finished a conference last weekend called the Indestructible Marriage Conference. One of our overseeing elders, Pastor Jimmy Evans, spoke, and he made this point that marriage is the only singularly exclusive place that God designed for sexual intimacy between a man and woman. It's God's plan. This is it. And what we were hearing just a minute ago about uh, long extended conversations, I want to say this. Emotional intimacy is as necessary and many times more necessary in a marriage. Emotional intimacy than sexual intimacy is. Although it is the exclusive place for that, emotional intimacy, when it's fostered and developed, makes the sexual intimacy even more meaningful and more satisfying. So I, I guess I'm speaking for everybody here, but I would rather know that my wife is listening and I'm listening to her. The, the given part of marriage is the exclusive. This is, this is our exclusive secret passionate garden for our sexual expression. But the emotional part is what sometimes in many marriages is left undeveloped and it it drags the whole marriage down if if the emotional and conversational and spiritual intimacy is not fostered. Um, Could I sub- say something just about sexual intimacy? You may. Because because we're the older people in the room. Can't you say something? Okay. Somewhere there was a question about that. Um, and our love, how has our love changed over 36 years? Well, that's not really a sexual intimacy, but I, I'm adding that to it. 
So just real quick, I will just say that I, when we got married, I thought, you know, that first year, I would look at people who were 20 years older than me and think, oh, bless their hearts. They just don't have, they don't even remember when sex was wonderful. They're so old. And so I just, I want to dispel that and give you all some uh, encouragement and anticipation for the future that uh, it just gets more and more wonderful um, the longer you're married and the, the, um, because of the emotional closeness, but also just treasuring each other more, weathering the storms that you've weathered, uh, learning and loving each other and understanding each other, even physically. So just be, those of you who are married a few years and are thinking, uh, this is probably as wonderful as it's going to get, I just want to let you know, hold on to your hats because it just gets better and better and better. All right? All right. We got to go now. Well, there is, we have like ten, eight, uh, ten minutes left. I, I would love for each of you, maybe starting with uh, McCarthy's, pick one of the, I know you have quite a few questions up there, but pick one of the questions. Or maybe there's not a question, but you came thinking like, I, I want to talk a little bit about this, or you could talk a little bit about this or that. So maybe starting with the McCarthy's, we'll work our way to the growthies um, and answer or talk about one of the things that you wanted to talk about here. Okay, I'll just be really fast, but uh, I'll let you answer another one. But um, there was a card that said, uh, "Where were you? Where were you wrong with your with uh, your beginning expectations of marriage?" Um, Say it again. Where were you wrong with your beginning expectations of marriage? Expectations of marriage. Yes. Where were you wrong? Yeah. So I think my wrongness was thinking that she knew me better. <laughs> so there's like certain things where it's like, no, I don't like yogurt. <laughs> I didn't know that. Why either. did you not know that yet? <laughs> There's like, and there's like the tiniest of things that just continue to do that. But I'm learning like, you you don't know me the best that I know me. And there's there's just things where it's like you're obviously still learning to know me. Marriage is not the complete like. All right, we we've gotten to marriage, and so we've gone through everything with dating. We know about everything. We've talked about everything. So now that we're married, we basically just live with each other and we get on with it. But there's still like this learning, and I'm assuming all the way to 36 years, like there's always learning. <laughs> so uh, I think that's one of my one of my things. I had a card that I really liked, so I'm just going to go off of it. Um, how do you stay content in the years before you get married? Um, I think, I mean, it obviously is very fresh for us because we were single technically two months ago, but. Um, my, I'm really grateful for my parents because they, my whole life, and especially when I was old enough to kind of make decisions on my own, they really encourage adventure and just taking risks with where you go and what you do and mission trips and bungee jumping and crazy stuff like that. Um, and I see that with Sean as well, that he took a risk in moving to Missouri and helping with a church plant. And I'm originally from Texas and moved here on somewhat of a whim. So I think being content in the years before you get married is knowing that they are such a short, beautiful amount of time. And especially for girls, I had someone one time explain that um, if you look at this whole spectrum of your life, um, most likely you're under the covering of your parents from 1 to 18. And then there's these few little years in your 20s or maybe beyond that you are kind of there's no umbrella right above you and you're making decisions. It's just you and the Lord directly. And then someday your husband will be your covering. But I think there's that little part of time where you really just, it's you and the Lord and you're making decisions about your life and you're going on adventures and you're taking risks with where you go and with your heart and what you're good at and what you're not good at. So I think staying content is not the absence of dwelling on marriage and am I going to someday, but just realizing that being single is such a special short amount of time and to really harness that. That's good. This question uh, is really cool. What things had to be spiritually in place in your personal life before you were ready to get married? Um, that's a great question. I think it's a, a, a sermon all in itself to answer that question. Um, but it, it, it kind of triggered my mind in a direction um, I think is huge. And that is, 
um, committing to um, fostering a teachable heart um, is just absolutely huge because when, when you see two people hunker down in their position and to begin to fortify and, and let's say in a, a conflict and, and you say, I'm going to rally around people to defend my position against my husband, you really set yourself up in opposition to that person and it, it can create craziness um, versus just saying, God, make my heart soft and teachable, assuming the position of a learner, right? When we, when we signed up to, to follow Jesus, we became his disciples, we, we became learners. And so that applies in every area of our life. And so um, that's been so huge, I think, for us to just ask. You need to ask God because it doesn't always come natural. God, give us humble, teachable hearts because there's going to be a lot of things that we need to learn. And, and you start that even as a single person you, of, of you making a commitment to really becoming a student of marriage. And... You know, I love it when I see single people at marriage conferences. I'm like, yes, because you're, you're already studying for <laughs> what's coming, and you're preparing. And then to, to continue that same heart and attitude um, in the marriage itself goes a long, long way in the health and the wholeness when you're soft clay in the hands of the potter and the hands of the Lord to mold and shape you into what he wants. I didn't know unmarried people could go to marriage conferences. I don't know. Absolutely. And just tagging onto that, we got several questions about what was the hardest time in our marriage, and I could definitely tell you all about that, but we don't have time. So I'll tell you that there have been some really, really, really hard times, crazy hard times. We've not had one of, we've not been one of these couples that everything just worked out just beautifully for, and just everything. We've had to really, really work. And so what I want to say is it's okay to ask for help. Okay, so if you, if you are in your marriage, it's kind of like sometimes like our car start, starts making a funny sound. We have to take it to a mechanic. We need an, a pair of outside eyes to kind of look in and say, you know what, this, this looks like it's not working well together. We spent over three years in um, counseling since we've been married, okay? We weren't one of these, let's go in and fix it in six months. We were a three-year couple, okay? But let me just take the stigma off of getting help when your marriage is in kind of a rough place. To have a godly, wise counselor sit with us and speak into some of the things that some of our blind spots that I couldn't see or that he couldn't see. So just if you get married and you kind of come upon rough spots that you will, and if you feel like, okay, it's not getting better, seek out godly counsel. Whether that's in the form of an older couple like a growthies or whether you go and seek a paid professional counselor, don't be afraid to ask for help. And I have been so surprised when we tell people we've gotten counseling, kind of the looks on their faces. There's nothing wrong with asking for help, and um, especially when it's like godly counsel. So, That's good. Our question, uh, I'll just take one minute. I'll take one, you can take one. Um, how did you know he, she was the right one? Uh, we've shared our testimony here in Sunday school and at the mill on Friday nights, but... I, I just say to young people who are not married, have a word from God before you get married. Now, a word from God doesn't necessarily mean audible, but it might. But have a very settled know that you know in your heart. It's not making a list of should it be Jim or should it be Bob. Jim is all of this, and Bob is all of that, and Bob has one more than Jim, so it's going to be Bob. Uh, and some people kind of have a list, and it's okay to have a list if it's godly traits or whatever, but um, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have a lifetime of working to make your marriage succeed, so you have to dispel the, I wonder if I married uh God's person for me by knowing before you get married. So uh, it's not a, a light decision. It's not something to be casual about. Um, so we encourage people, wait until you just absolutely know that you know that you know, and then you can fall back on that in the days to come. That's good. Yeah. I wanted to um, just kind of conclude with where we, we started out this month 
uh, many Sundays ago reading this uh, passage in Ephesians, uh, reading the, like the, the majority of the chapter and then closing with the, this verse. And it's a verse, or a set of verses that I read. I've done uh, a few weddings like, um, as a, an officiant. And we read this passage about wives and husbands submit to one another out of reverence to the Lord and wives to your husbands. Uh, and then it talks about how the wife is like the church and how uh, the man, the groom, is like Christ. And I always make the silly joke that uh, the grooms, all you have to do is to be like Christ. And everyone's like, ah, that's impossible. Um, it's like, no, that's when, when a marriage works, um, Paul talks about how it is like this mystery between Christ and the church and a husband and wife. And so I, I took that and, and began this month off talking about how marriages, if done well, glorify the Lord in such a way that we as Christians married to our spouse, either now if you're married or in the future, um, we represent this relationship between Christ and the church. And it's this visual analogy for the world to see how Christ interacts with his church. So I'll, I'll read this verse and then pray. Paul says in Ephesians 5, For this reason, uh, it's the same verse that Jesus quoted from Genesis, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then he says this, This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So Jesus, we come to you in, in prayer and we thank you um, for many of us, it's the future of finding a spouse, the future of being married. For some of us, it's being married. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you've created us this, with this desire for, for another person in friendship, another person in, in for a spouse, another person for intimacy. And Lord, we thank you for that, that you've, you've made us wonderfully made in your image for relationship and community. And God, I pray that um, for those of us that, that are married or get married, Lord, that our marriages will be prepared and strengthened by your will and who you are, that we could in some way be this image of who you are to us as the church, that you, God, are um, totally sovereign and worthy to be praised. Lord, use us as your servants. Let us bless your name in every part of our life, including marriage. So, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you, we worship you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.